week's Adam Schefter Super Bowl 53 podcast, we've got a super lineup of guests. Leading off with Chris Berman, the longtime face of ESPN. And then we'll be joined by the man in the host city of Super Bowl 53, the Atlanta Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. ESPN colleague and analytics researcher Evan Kaplan will give us an analytical view of Super Bowl 53. And then the man that has won the past two Super Bowls, Eagles defensive end Chris Long stops by with his own insight on the big game. But first, Chris Berman. So we have the Rams and we have the Patriots and we have history and we have the new and we have the old. What do you make of this Super Bowl matchup, Boom? Well, it's certainly something new. And to your point, you know, with, with, with so much glitter, I mean, with two decades of NFL royalty. So we start with the new. What I make of it is the Rams certainly earned their way. I know in New Orleans it, it, it's hard to say that, but look, uh, we're not going backwards. We're going forwards here, but down 13, nothing fake punt. Uh, down 20 to 10. Um, Etc. So, whereas we all know what the bellyache was, and certainly that's as real as it gets, the Rams played some gutsy football. So who's to say that they're not capable of doing it uh, again? And the fact that they have some veterans on defense and a guy named Wade Phillips, so I'm starting with the old. Yeah. I don't think the moment will be too big for Wade, Aaron Donald, uh, Dominican Sue. Uh, Tlaib used to be a Patriot. Uh, you know, uh, well, Peters is a kid still and, and didn't have a good, but there are, that unit has a chance to do, to continue what it's done in January. And that's be the defense that's in the top half or third, certainly by eyeball. Now to New England, I mean, all the platitudes uh, are, aren't enough with them. But Chef, do you know for New England? The Patriots team that we've seen beat the Chargers and beat the Chiefs was, yes, they're 11 and 5. This isn't some 8 and 8 team, mm-hmm. but this, this was a, this is a markedly better January team, and we moved to February, than the Patriots we saw for a lot of the year. Surprise, and, surprise. Yeah, well, they've done this. <laughs> they've done this before, yeah. But both teams, unlike, which I think is interesting now going backwards a little bit. You know, you want to be playing your best ball in January, duh. Well, I don't know that the Saints really were. I can't say the Chiefs weren't, okay, because the their playoff win over the Colts was. But these, these guys played two really good games. And, and New England's defense, look, they got torched for 31 and a half. But it shut out Kansas City for a half. So... If it can shut out the Rams for a half, no, no matter how explosive they are, New England will win the game. Because 30 minutes is a lot of pressure to run an offense when you haven't scored yet. You know, not going all over the map there. And, of course, that's what these Super Bowls allow us to do. But I, I find it, it's not all just kids versus veterans. It, it, the overview, yeah, but there's a lot of it that's not. I mean, I, look. That's why the game is rated so close as we as we get close to it now. Well, Boom, you also are a football historian. You've seen all these Super Bowls, including the Jets' win over the Colts. May I remind you? Yeah. Where would you put 
these patriots, and I mean these patriots dating back to 2001, against some of these other great dynasties that we've seen, the Packers in the 60s, and the Steelers in the 70s, and the Niners of the 80s, and the Cowboys of the 90s, and now the Patriots. Where do they rank amongst football royalty, Boom? Well, you, you, you're asking me, to, you want me to put one, two, three, four, five on that group. I, I, I got a lot of friends in all these places. Um, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> you know, um, well, this is two decades of it. You know, the, the 49ers were kind of 15 years. The Steelers were, those Steelers were a decade. Yep. So does that, you know, and the Packers were a decade. And, and, uh, does, but the Patriots are two decades. So to keep this with these rules is even more incredible rules, meaning free agency, you lose a quarter or a third of your roster or whatever the number is. But what did they all have? And maybe winning means that we look at the coaches, but, but, but in no particular at all going chronological. You say Vince Lombardi, everybody knows you're great, right? Yep. And by the way, Bart Starr, I think he was nine and one in, in the playoffs. Lost the very first one and won every other one. Um, you know, now you go to the Steelers. Well, they didn't make the Super Bowl every year, but they were Chuck Noll. I mean, and that's an unbelievable coach who had a great eye for talent because they were awful when he got there. He didn't do it alone, but um, and history will say that Bradshaw was four and only Super Bowls. I mean, but you know, but let's go to the Niners. Bill Walsh kind of was you know, Lombardi. I don't want to say invented new football, but we, that level was different. Um, the Steelers, that level of defense in particular was better than we've ever seen, maybe still. Um, the Niners, that type of offense, I call that the beginning of modern football with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. Uh, the term modern is loose, but these guys set a course by which they tried to be, uh, not the word, you know, copied, emulated. Um, and then we, you know, then you go to the Cowboys of the three and four years. Could have been four. The Niners had a hell of an effort to beat him in the one championship game. Um, and now you have this crew. The, the, the difference is when you go to totaling Hall of Fame players, mm-hmm. and with, with Coach Belichick, obviously, uh, the difference is the Cowboys had two coaches and it was a shorter run there. And Coach Belichick, I mean, he's everything of Vince Lombardi and Bill Walsh and every other name. My goodness, I mean, he's won more than just about everybody except Jewel and Hallis. But the difference is, to the coaching and to the quarterback, how many other Hall of Famers, they've had great players, and they've played great football. But when it's all said and done, whereas the Steelers and the Packers, like that's half the Hall of Fame kind of, right, mm-hmm. Jesse? Yeah. The Niners, not as many. You know, as time goes on, there's more teams, there's more players. Dallas, certainly, with the triplets and a couple of others. Yep. So how many Hall of Famers will these Patriots have other than Tom Brady? I'm talking to players. Um, Ty Law um, will go one day, I would imagine. He should go. Huh? And Gronk, right? Will go one day. I agree with that. And Brady Moss is in, but he was a Patriot for a few years. And i got to tell you something. Is- Julian Edelman has played his way into the conversation. Uh, yeah, I love Julian, but he's the slot that Wes Welker and Troy Brown were. I'm not saying he's not better because he does punt return. I mean, he's, his clutch is unbelievable. Yeah, but my point is, this isn't 12 Hall of Famers. 
this is an unbelievable maybe Tom Brady class, only Joe Montana in that discussion. So, um, and Coach Belichick, I mean, that's where if I hear, but this is 20 years now. And they, they have players who were, Richard Seymour was great, but he won't be, right? Ty Law, as we speak, not in. Um, you know, Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi were wonderful players. They have wonderful players. But my point is, oh, my God, you line up those 12 Hall of Famers, how can you lose? Not the case with them, which almost makes what they've done, I want to say more amazing, but more impressive. Do you buy that that angle a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, and Adam Vinatieri would be a Hall of Famer too, Boom. Yeah, I, I'm my bad. That's stupid. I'm not uh, – yes. You know, and, and a little aside on Adam, <laughs> he's like Carlton Fisk in Boston. In other words, Fisk played more games as a White Sox than the Red Sox, but you think of him as a Red Sox, right? Mm-hmm. And Adam Vinatieri, well, yeah, Super Bowl, Colts, et cetera, but more games as a Colt than a Patriot. But how can you not think of him as a Patriot? But there's a kicker. I'm not knocking that. He's the greatest kicker of all time with the snow one. Um, position players? Like Tom, other than Randy Moss and Edelman, his receivers are they're nice, right? But nobody's knocking at the door. My point is, other than Gronk. So they're, they're, my point is they've done this by just unbelievable 20 years of, of airtight fundamental football, oh, yeah. which has a lot of the past as much as the present. I think that he's drawn from both, Bill. That's what makes them great every year. Bill and Tom, as a combination, might be as dynamic, as productive, as illustrious, as prolific as any combination, one-two combination in sports history. I mean, hmm. we could think of Red Auerbach and Bill Russell and Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Bill Walsh and Joe Montana and any other combination you could come up with, boom. One-two. But has there ever been a one-two combination in your mind as we sit here and talk about it that's done more, won more, produced more than Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? Well, that's is a good question, Sheffy. You brought up Auerbach and Russell because for championships, you know, their their number they won almost every year. Now it didn't go for well, it went as long as Russell played, then he won one as a player coach, one or two at the end. So, but by championships, you 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 could have an argument. Interesting, same city, but no, no, I'd have a hard time shooting down what you just said. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know. Babe Ruth, well, he had two different managers, right? I'm just, this is off the top of my head now. I mean, you want to go that far back, but he had Huggins and McCarthy. So, uh, I, I, hockey, I'm, yeah, told Blake, Maurice, for sure. No, you've said it. Auerbach and Russell is the one. That, that's the only one that you'd have a healthy debate about. And the beauty is it could all be had in a bar in Boston over chowder and beers, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So who would you rather have? You'd rather have Auerbach and Russell or Belichick and Brady? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Put right. me on the spot, Boom. Well, Belichick and Brady, can they play on a parquet floor? Yeah, uh, I bet they can. Um, or, but but could Auerbach and Russell win in zero degrees? Um, probably not. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, for longevity... Playing in nine Super Bowls, and who knows if they win six, they could, obviously. I'd I, I lean to these two 
only because it's it's almost twenty years. Although, although, you know, hour back, what was the first one? Fifty six with Russell. I mean, he came out of. I yeah. mean, yeah. we're close. They did it longer than te- longer than you think. Hmm. I, ooh. I'll go with Belichick and Brady. You know, and if I ask Bill, he'll go. I can't believe you said that. It's definitely the other guys. It's interesting, right? That's a that's a hell of a question, and I'm going to ask my great Boston um, sports fans what they think. Like, I'm going to pull about twenty of them and get back to you. I have I've not pondered that one. That's an angle, Shefty. That's why you're a podcast genius. <laughs> All right, boom. Sean McVay is 32 years old. What does it mean to you to see the youngest coach ever in the Super Bowl, a guy who, back when the Super Bowl was last in Atlanta, went as a 14-year-old fan? Well, what I thought of a little bit was young Don Shula. Right? What was Coach Shula when he started a head coach? 33? I mean, I'm doing this off the top of my head. What it must have been like going up against Vince Lombardi, they did once in the playoffs, uh, it was, a you know, you don't need me to go back. It was a very famous game, but they're both in the West, so they never played for the championship. Shula, Baltimore, and, and Lombardi, the Packers, of course. That's what came to mind. Um, he will not be overwhelmed by the situation. You know, it's, it's like if you, you're, you're, you're a horse player, right? And who is the grandfather of, of, uh, uh, you know, of, of such and such a horse because he's got some blood there. Yep. Well, John McVay has been around all those Niners teams. Um, not that that makes Sean a, I mean, I, you know, I, John would say, I haven't had anything to do with it, but I like the bloodlines. Don't you? John McVay was oh, yeah. front office, right hand man of Bill Walsh when they built the Niners and kept the Niners. So he won't be overwhelmed because as you put it, he, he's seen it young. Ball boy, etc. Um, he's got Wade Phillips there, and they've got an energy. And and not to change the the, the, the question or the comment, you know, L.A. And it's not for me to speak about L.A., but you know, L.A. loves glitter and this and that. And because the championship game was on the road, the Dallas game had a big turnout. But I don't know that they were like any of the other four cities. I know they weren't. Uh, like New Orleans, New England, or Kansas City in the championship game with their fervor. It will be interesting to see the second biggest city in the United States now with a refound team that was their own, at least their fathers and grandfathers will tell them, in the Super Bowl. It's going to be like for two weeks, everyone, I've been with them all along, right? Mm-hmm. It'll be an interesting thing to see. And, and I think that'll, I think the Rams will love having that in their pocket. Um, I, I find it interesting. This will be a two week love affair in LA. Not the first, but that's another discussion, yeah. right? Can you imagine what it's like though for Sean McFay? Like he grew up in that city. Can you imagine yeah. going back to, to Connecticut as a little boy boom and you're coaching the Super Bowl at 32, at 32 years of age, coaching a Super Bowl team in your hometown? Like, that's wild to think about. Yeah, it is. And the less thinking about it he does, the better. Right, That's Jeffy? true, too. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know that. It, maybe he'll, at 2 a.m., just before he goes to bed, although he's probably more at 4 a.m., I'm in, I'm in looking at film, um, maybe he'll slap in some family 
old films for 15 minutes. That's that's when he should look at it. But by quarter to five, it's all Super Bowl work. Maybe the old eight millimeter. Maybe you know, put the family. Well, he's not that old. He doesn't even know what a bell and howl is, right? So um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you no, know, you don't either. You know what? I forgot. You're a kid too. Um, at any rate, it, 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 I don't know him really well or hardly at all. I, I met him along the line, but I, I'm fascinated by it. And and his team showed. Obviously, he's he's instilled in them toughness, uh, not to mention ability way beyond his years. Very impressive. But I think of young Shula against Vince Lombardi. I, I think of that 50 years later, what that must have been like, you know, because he, he's got to think about that a little bit. Um, and, th- and that's what this is like, young Shula versus Lombardi. It is. It, well, it's the best. Well, we don't know that Sean McVay is going to be Don Shula, but we do know that Bill Belichick is, is Vince Lombardi, right? So better. Yeah, no, no. I, I yes, but I'm in yes, but same conversation. That's what I'm saying. Yes. But it, it could be, could be twenty years from now. Remember when they? This, this could be one of those. Um, you know, it, it it's. And indoors, I mean, there is no uh, Super Bowls are rarely weather. We got, you know, so hey, what kind of scoring game will this be? You know, after that Rams Chiefs game, Shefty that we had on on ESPN, you know, and when we finally figured out where it was going to be played, <laughs> um, it, it's kind of as if those basketball games went away a little bit, right? That was the last of those Rams Saints Chiefs Pats. Um, Rams Chiefs, you know, fifty four, fifty one. Now we're back to back to game in the I don't know that both teams will get to the thirties. I don't know that. I don't know that. I, I, I don't I'm, it's too early for me to make a pick. I mean we're a full week away. But I, I don't I think it's more, you know, thirty one, twenty seven ish without really giving it a lot of thought yet as to who and the exact and how. I don't see this 41-38. I don't. Do you? I actually think the chances of it being a higher-scoring game are greater than they are of being a low-scoring game. I kind of see something like we saw in Kansas City. Look, Philadelphia was a good defensive team last year, and New England went up and down the field with them, and Tom threw for over 500. And I'm not telling you we're going to get that game again, but I could I could see this 31-28 somewhere along the way, yeah. Well, but you're saying upper 30s both. I don't know that. No, not upper 30. 31-28, somewhere around there. Somewhere yeah, we're around in the there. same. Well, I mean, that's a high-scoring game. But compared to, like, November, it's like, boy, if you don't score 45, you're not going to go anywhere. I think we're back to – we saw what, what defense did. We saw how they, after the Saints had 13 points, the Rams did a hell of a job on them, you know. Um we saw New England shut out great Kansas City for a half. And again, we're not talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers that we brought up 10 minutes ago. Nobody's that. That's gone. Or at least for now. We're not, they're not the, you know, the Seahawks of five years ago were a long way ago, which is amazing how, how football has quote changed. Not to say that five years from now, we're not going to be playing mm-hmm. seven to three, but defense will, there'll be something different that defense does to this style of offense that keeps games in the twenties. But for right now, Seahawks of 2013, that's a long time ago. So 
but I don't think basketball scores. You know what I want to throw out there, which, which you and I talked about before we started, just interesting how one or two plays can change the biggest of games oh, of yeah. course, in the last 20 years. Remember, when we were younger, when I was younger, Chef, the year of baby, um, most of the Super Bowls were blowouts. I know I'm going way back, right? Yep. But since, well, you can almost start with the Rams one, the Vermeil one with St. Louis, right, on the one-yard line against Tennessee. Since then, if you look at, so that's 20 years of scores, what, yep. 15 of them are four times, I'm just guessing, the way majority of them are, whoa, a play or two can change things. So I want to bring up a decision that was made in each of the championship games that I don't disagree either way they went, but it was like a 50-50 call. So Sean McVay kicks a field goal. What was it, three and a half to go, four maybe, yep. to tie it when he's at the one uh, with fourth down. And you figure he, of all people, is going to go for it. They're never going to get down there again to win the game, blah, blah, blah. They kick it and they tie it, 20-all. And, you know, as we, uh, uh, rather than to take the lead, well, he ends up something nobody talked about. It could have backfired, not saying what he did is wrong, but that's like a 50-50 or a 60-40 move, right? You with me on that? Yeah. We weren't sure watching it together, right? Oh, yeah. Tommy, you and me. So Andy Reid at the end of the first half, um, with the score seven to nothing, and New England stopped on, on second down with about a buck thirty to go. Takes a timeout. And it was third and don't quote me here, third and seven or something. He takes the timeout, which is quote the proper thing to do. Because if you get one stop, you now you're gonna get the ball with Mahomes for a minute. You've been outplayed for the bowl in the first half. You can tie the game. Well, what happens? New England picked up one of their many third downs. Um, and they ended up then going for the end zone with 25 seconds to go, scoring a touchdown. I'm not saying Andy was wrong, but supposing that worked, they had the ball. New England never got 14, let alone Kansas City might have gotten seven. And we might be talking about two different teams on both calls by a coach that are kind of 60-40 or 50-50 to show you, sometimes it's like playing blackjack when the dealer has a two showing. Hmm. Yeah, there's a book on it, but not really. I don't know. Just food for thought before we go headlong into the game. I thought I'd throw that out. Boom, I look forward to seeing you down in Atlanta this week. Look forward to watching the final prime time of the evening following Super Bowl 53 on ESPN. It's great to have you after the championship game. Great to have you in the war room. Great to have you today. It is always an honor, and it is always my pleasure. Jeffy, you are multifaceted. You know, you're you're you got like one of those twenty. You got twenty. You got ten fingers on each hand. You're unbelievable. <laughs> Love you. See you in Atlanta. Love you, Boom. Take care, my friend. Thomas, Adam, why are you bringing this cold weather to Atlanta for us this week, man? Well, I looked, and interestingly enough, tomorrow is the only day that's going to have snow, and at the end of the week, it's what, 53, 55 or something, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's good. Okay. That's good. Well, we'll see. We'll see. How you doing, all right? Yeah, I'm doing well. Since we've last talked, everything is good. I'm going to go for a nice afternoon ride because, you know, Sneed called me. I'm like, Sneed, what, are you taking my office, too? Like, they're, you know, so we're all working at home, right, because we can't be in the building. So I like it. It's nice for me. I, I'm... I committed to eating well this week, 
doing two-a-day workouts and doing some really good film work, so it's good. So let me get this straight. Les Snead, the Rams general manager who used to work with you, is taking over your office this week? Well, uh, we're not allowing them upstairs, but they are taking over the uh, the facility. So I, I'm, I told him, are you calling me to see if you can sneak upstairs? And, I, and he said, no, I'll, I'll steer clear. So we're, should, we're good. He should get to use your bicycle and everything, Thomas. <laughs> he can, Exactly. That's exactly right. That's right? Exactly right. Well, he's yep. down there. All right, we, we bring you up for a couple of different reasons here. I think, number one, as the former director of college scouting for the Patriots, I think you could offer up a perspective that some might not have. And I wanted to get your recommendations on the Atlanta scene, where I should be eating every single night. What are the restaurants that I have to go visit? But let me start first with the Patriots. Having worked there from 2003 to 2007, Thomas, as their director of college scouting, why are the Patriots the Patriots? Well, I mean, look, there, there's just so much about that organization that is just, you know, tipping the scales of, of obviously being the best ever at, at so many levels from ownership down to head coach, of course, to, uh, to management with Nick Casario and just the way that they approach everything. I've said this time and again over the years. There's something very special about the approach of the Patriots, and I think, though inside their walls, they are really focused on being championship at whatever they do. And there is an element of confidence, some would call arrogance, I'm not, I'm calling it confidence, that they are the best at what they do at whatever job they do, all the way from the, from the, the lowest level equipment man on the staff all the way up to, to the highest, uh, highest ranking officials within the organization. They really believe that they're the best at what they do. There is something special about that when people believe that because they know that when it does come to shove, that they're gonna they're gonna follow through and they're gonna they're gonna get the wins and many many victories as they have done. When you were there and you left in 2007 to become the Falcons GM in 2008, the job you've had since then, did you have any idea that their dynastic run would last as long as it has? No, I know you're gonna back me into this and and, and think that I was thinking it was gonna end when I left. But, but, uh, <laughs> That's where I was going with it. <laughs> No, no, definitely. You know what? I did not. Honestly, again, there was there were so many special elements to that organization that that I just thought, you know, just the way that it was approached and how Bill approached everything and how people were being schooled directly and indirectly by Bill within that organization and Scott and and Mr. Kraft, of course, and Jonathan on the business side. Again, very, very, very special people with a lot of very high intellect Um and, you know, I, now I look at it over the years and I realize there was such focus, there was such discipline, and there was such accountability within that organization that I think is special. And, and it's hard to duplicate, you know, and, and replicate, excuse me. And I think, I think uh, you know, I, I, I really – I had no idea how long they were going to be going with this, uh, but I knew that it was going to be as long as the people that were in place were in place that they were going to continue on a big-time run. See, that's what I thought you were going to say, Thomas, that once you left, it could not continue. And once Les Snead, who left the Falcons front office to become the Rams general manager, left you with everything that you taught him, that he was bound to form the type of team that he has in Los Angeles. And indirectly, <laughs> Yang, you would have contributed to this game and these teams and all their success. Wow, that's a good story. Uh, <laughs> humbly, humbly, I hope that just in some small way that I affected – um, obviously the Patriots and, and, and of course my relationship with Les and a, a few other people that have been through 
you know, the organization in Atlanta. Hopefully we, we all learn from each other, and that's what I continue to think happens. The Falcons' GM tree is expanding, right? Sometimes I feel it is. We, you know, keep looking at it. I'm, I'm excited about opportunities, but you can't be 7-9, and nine, right? I mean, that was a tough season for us, of course. And, uh, you know, we have a hell of a coach in Dan, Dan Quinn, of course, and we've done a, a, a lot of adjustments this year, and we're going to come back and really be focused on uh, cleaning up what we need to clean up and, and straighten out what we need to straighten out so that we can hopefully continue to put people in the you know, head coach and GM ranks into the future. What will be the Falcons' biggest priority this offseason, Thomas? You know, Adam, uh, we've, we've talked again and again about it where, where we, you know, look, ultimately when you're, when you're paying a quarterback $30 million a year, uh, we all know that we always have to protect him. We have to have the surrounding cast, of course. The surrounding cast is just not running routes and running balls and catching balls and blocking, uh, you know, outside. We need to continue to protect up the middle, of course. Uh, of course, we, we, need, we need both fronts to be shored up and continue to build there. That's important for us. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that we won't look at other spots because just when we say that, next thing you know, we'll be looking for a, uh, you know, a return guy. Who knows, right? Yep. There's just a lot out there. All right, listen. The world is descending upon Atlanta this week. I've got, Thomas, five nights in Atlanta. Give me five restaurants in the Atlanta area that you think I should go eat at. Well, you put me on the spot. Let me see if I can name them. My number one place in Atlanta, and I know people are going to say it, Atlanta Sushi. You can talk to Tony Gonzalez, people wow. from all over the country who know sushi well. It's Umi, U-M-I, owner Farshid, good friend of mine and ours. He is, he is anyone, Matt Ryan, everyone goes to Umi. It is the place. If you can get into Umi, you've achieved a lot there because they turn people away. It is so good. It's like sushi den, sushi den in Denver, Thomas, if you ever get there. Yes. You know it. You know it. They, they, they're, they're great with it, and they do an excellent job. So that's Umi's number one. Yep. Okay. Kevin Rathbun's, R-A-T-H-B-U-N-S, yep. Rathbun Steakhouse, and Kevin Rathbun's, and Rathbun's, uh, he's got three different places. Fantastic, fantastic, very creative menu. You'll like it a lot. Okay. That's two. Okay. That's two. Um, three, uh, I would say American Cut. They do a great job, have some really good people there taking care of you. You guys have an American Cut in town, though, right? In New York? I don't know if we have an American Cut. I've never heard of American Cut in New York. I don't get out okay, very much, Thomas. Yeah, I, I can't believe I just called your city a town, but yes. <laughs> Sorry, the city you guys have. So American Cut, uh, I really like this French respo- restaurant called Bill, Bill Bouquet, yep. which is right down in the middle of Buckhead as well. Uh, that's Is that four? That's four. All right. And, uh, and, and, and for the last one, I'm staying downtown. Where am I going? That's a really good meal. You are staying downtown, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, honestly, I think uh, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I need to I need to give you a uh, text on that because I don't want to do anyone short on it. Now, are you going to be going to the game on Sunday? I am. I, I'm. Uh, I am taking uh, up the opportunity to uh, listen to Arthur's uh, request about being in his suite. Uh, we'll be in there myself and and uh, Dan Quinn and and. Uh, and our people in our lives, uh, his wife and, and, and my, my girl, and, and we'll be in there and we'll be spending some good time. And I'll have my, my other family in different parts of the stadium as well. And it'll be great. It'll be great to be out. Atlanta's ready for this game, Thomas? 
Atlanta is ready. I was talking to some people last night all over all over the city in different walks, and they were all really excited to to show the best they can. You know, weather's one thing, of course, um, but I think they really want to show the, the the culinary scene for sure, which I only did you for, of course. But yep. uh, there are many, many, many more in this city. Um, I think I think things are people are just thriving to show that this city is what it is. It is a it is a world class type city, and I know you've been down here visiting in football, but on this kind of a scene, great music scene. There's a lot going on, so we'll have an opportunity to uh, to be able to thrive. I hope as a city. Last thing before I let you go, Thomas, and thank you very much for the time. Does the Super Bowl bring back good memories or bad memories for you? You know, Super Bowls bring back good memories for the most part, of course. Um, I've had opportunities to sit at a Super Bowl when we weren't playing, and that was really, really difficult. Um, and then, obviously, the toughest time, of course, was back in 16. Uh, an, an amazing run for, for Dan Quinn and this football team, and, and, and coming up short was really difficult. We learned a lot of lessons from it, um, but I – it only allows me and, and, and sort of provides me with the impetus to drive even even harder to get back into this game one day and, and know how it felt and, and, and hopefully next time walk away with the W. Hey, Thomas, thanks for the time today, and thank you for allowing me to charge my Umi dinner to the house account, the Dimitrov house account. I appreciate that as well. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Take care, Thomas. We'll be back in a moment with Evan Kaplan, but first I want to tell you about Edible Arrangements. Valentine's Day isn't the time for rookie moves. Leave it to the pros at Edible Arrangements. It's the freshest fruit, marred with the finest chocolate, artfully arranged to make a big impression. And with over 20 decadent Valentine's Day gifts and arrangements to choose from, you don't have to be exclusive. It doesn't make a difference. If it's for that special someone or all of your special someones, when you feel love, share love with Edible Arrangements. Stand out from the crowd this Valentine's Day. It pays to plan ahead. Order by February 10th and take 20% off all pickup orders over $50. Stop by your local Edible Arrangements and experience love at first bite or order online and have it delivered at edible.com. Cap hit. And welcome back to our fine ESPN NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan, who joins us in the week of Super Bowl 53. We've waited all season long for this matchup. It's now close and at hand. We get the Rams, we get the Patriots, and already we are starting to hear of all the Mm storylines that are involved in this game. So, Evan, take us behind the curtain and give us a look at something that hasn't been as noticeable, as trendy, as in vogue, in regards to this game regarding old versus young. Yeah, let's start with the ages. And you look at Bill Belichick and Sean McVay, the two head coaches. They will have the largest age gap, according to Elias, of any head coaching matchup in Super Bowl history. Sean McVay just turned 33 years old last week, and he will go up against Bill Belichick, who is 33 years older than him. So that age gap will be the largest in Super Bowl history. You look at the quarterbacks, also the largest in Super Bowl history. 41-year-old Tom Brady, 24-year-old Jared Goff. And look, the next closest was 13 years. This is 17 years. So you've got old versus young, kind of a theme that we've talked about throughout the postseason. We had it in the conference championship games. Mm -hmm. We'll have it in the Super Bowl. And you you can also kind of think of it this way. Sean McVay had his first birthday the day before Bill Belichick won his first Super Bowl as a coordinator with the Giants back in January (laughs) of 1987. I mean, you, you consider it that way. But look. Those are all great notes, but on the field on Sunday, it, it's going to be a tremendous offensive mind against 
someone with a tremendous defensive background mind in Belichick. Sean McVay was probably breaking down film of that game uh, to celebrate his one-year <laughs> birthday if I had to. And maybe building his coaching tree back there at, uh, at that, one year. The old. coaching tree started at one. He was looking around the world to see who he could add to it. Yes. Another young guy in this matchup, Jared Goff. He's come quite a way as this Rams team also has. How do we put into perspective basically what he has done over the course of his NFL career, particularly against New England. Yeah, so you you look at kind of matchups, and and obviously with the AFC NFC, you're sometimes they haven't played in a while. So this will actually be Jared Goff's second career start against the Patriots. And the the interesting thing to me is look at how much was different from the first one. The the first start against New England was in Week 13 of his rookie season back in 2016. The Patriots won easily, 26-10. Goff had the lowest completion percentage of his career. It was only his third career start. But you look at all that's changed. Sean McVay wasn't there with the Rams yet, and Jared Goff is a completely different player. I wonder if if the Patriots will even look back to that game in terms of scouting. See, so he, different, he's so different, and different coaches, so different offenses. Absolutely, I don't even, I don't even think, I don't even think it will have a huge effect on Sunday's game. Um, but but you look at at Goff, kind of this this will be. He's look. I would say from his perspective, mm-hmm. it might help a little bit to at least have seen the Patriots defense. And and been across the field from Tom Brady, certainly probably one of his idols, and on the other side of Bill Belichick, just the fact that this will not be the first time he's ever done that. And then on the other hand, we have Tom Brady. And we talked on the podcast last week about the importance of Patriots offensive line coach Dante Scarnecchia. And when you look at it, Evan, it's amazing to me. The Patriots did not allow a sack against the Los Angeles Chargers in the divisional playoff round. Then they go on the road in the conference championship game, run 94 plays against the team that leads the league in sacks, and once again, do not allow a sack. To me, so much of the credit belongs to Dante Scarnecchia, who's one of the top two or three offensive line coaches of all time, Mm -hmm. along with Alex Gibbs, who used to work with the Broncos and was consulting with the Saints. But how much does Tom Brady have to do with the success of this offensive line and Dante Scarnecchia. Look, in the typical Patriots way, it all kind of works together. So let's start with the offensive line like you talked about. So no sacks, incredible. Using NFL next-gen stats with the the chips and the shoulder pads, we can tell how often the Patriots are holding their blocks, holding their blocks against their opposing rushers. They did that for at least two and a half seconds, which is about the average time to get pressure on the quarterback. They did that over 90% of the time against the Chiefs. So Tom Brady had a clean pocket to throw from. That 90% was the highest by any team in a game this season, regular season, postseason. So the offensive line is giving Brady room to throw. On Brady's end, he's getting rid of the ball quickly. Average time before pass in the playoffs, about 2.4 seconds, down from 2.6 seconds during the regular season. So it, it all works together. Brady getting rid of the ball quickly. The offensive line holding their blocks, not allowing him to get sacked, which will be fascinating against this Rams defensive line on Sunday. I didn't realize that there were stats for holding blocks. Yeah. It, so so our analytics team, the ESPN Stats and Information Analytics team, came up with it this year. Pass block win rate, which is able to tell. So it, it takes kind of sack stats, Damn. and it's being able to kind of take it to the next level. 90.5% of the time, the Patriots held their blocks at least two and a half seconds in that AFC Championship game, highest by any team all season. So you and our statisticians take it to the next level. The Patriots always take it to the next level. Yep. And another guy that takes it to the next level is the Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Now, as you mentioned, the Patriots holding their blocks, 
it will be difficult to yes, do that absolutely. against Aaron Donald, who's as good as any defensive player in all football. Yep. How do we size up this matchup? Yeah, so Aaron Donald, 20 and a half sacks this season, the most in the NFL. He will join Lawrence Taylor in 1986 as the only players to have 20 sacks and then play in the Super Bowl since the stat became official in 1982. Taylor was the last defensive player to win the NFL MVP that season. Giants won the Super Bowl. Donald certainly in line for another Defensive Player of the Year award this season. And you look at his production in the playoffs. He does not have any sacks in the playoffs, but there's a major reason why, and it's why the Rams are still winning, because teams are paying so much attention to him, and I'll be very interested to see if the Patriots do the same thing in Super Bowl 53. Aaron Donald is being double-teamed on 71% of his pass rushes this postseason. So while he doesn't have any sacks, he is taking so much attention from the opposing team's offensive line that it's allowing players like Indomitian Sue and Dante Fowler, who made probably the winning play in overtime in the NFC Championship, to get to the quarterback. So we've gone over offensive lines, defensive lines, holding blocks. What about, I know this will sound crazy, I'm actually very curious about this, <laughs> jersey colors. Yeah. What's in a jersey so color? So let's, let's finish with a fun one. We've, look, everyone, we, we've been diving into the X's and O's since since the Sunday of the championship games, but let, let's look at a fun one. So the Rams have chosen to wear their throwback blue and goldish yellow jerseys for Super Bowl 53. Now that goes against kind of the recent trend of jersey colors. The team to wear white jerseys in the Super Bowl has won 12 of the last 14 games. Now the Patriots wore white last year and lost to the Eagles, but if you go back and look at 12 of the last 14 Super Bowls have been won by the team coincidentally wearing the white jerseys. The Patriots chose to wear white last year. If you remember, this will be their fourth straight Super Bowl wearing their white jerseys. So just kind of a fun note. Does it mean anything for Sunday? No, absolutely not. But kind of a strange statistical oddity that 12 of the last 14 Super Bowls have been won by teams wearing their road white jerseys. I got to say, I like the Rams throwback uniforms. I like that oh, look. Oh, they're great. That's a great look. You know, it reminds me of the movie Heaven Can Wait. You probably weren't even born yet. Warren no. Beatty. I don't even know who else was in it, but they had the Rams uniforms in them. And I'll always think of them that way. And I know the Rams are getting ready to change their uniforms for future seasons when they go into a new stadium. And so to me... When they go into the new stadium, I would love to see them go back to the old uniforms, marrying the old and the new back in L.A. But that's a point for another Saturday day. night before the Super Bowl. I know what I'm watching. Heaven can wait. There you go. No, if no. you're going to watch a movie the night before the Super Bowl, let me give you a different <laughs> okay. recommendation. What do we got? You've seen Shawshank Redemption. Of course. You've seen Forrest Gump. Yes. Have you seen <laughs> Walk the Line? Parts of it. That's a great movie. A good. Have you seen the movie Ray? Yes. Another With good Jamie movie. Jamie Foxx. Another good movie. If you're going to be on demand in the room, yep. you might want to pay for Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. I've not seen that yet. That you definitely want to see. And go. I've also heard outstanding things, but have not yet seen Green Book. I've That's on the list as well. That I hear is fantastic. And I also hear the upside with Kevin Hart is okay. tremendous. All right. So, so, so three good movies on the list. We'll save having can wait. And let me also say this. I always know that when we get through with football season, I always love the next two weeks that I finally am able to try to go to the movie, something right. I never, ever get to do. Sure. And if and when I get to do that this year, Green Book is number one. Okay. Upside is number two. Okay. And by the way, if I could sneak away for two hours during Super Bowl week this week to go see a movie like that, I would love to do it. That actually <laughs> happened one year. Really? I was at the Super Bowl. It was in Miami. 
I was working for NFL Network. Me and Solomon Wilcox, they <laughs> didn't need us to do a show. Right. And we went and to go see There Will Be Blood by Daniel Day-Lewis. Wow. It was a weird movie. <laughs> it was a weird movie. <laughs> so if Solomon I can sneak away yeah. at some point this week in Atlanta to go see The Green Book. All right. If you can't find me anywhere. Uh, you'll be in the movie theater. Somewhere. I'll be in the movie theater stuffing popcorn in my face and watching <laughs> The Green Book. All right, Evan, thanks very much. Enjoy the game this week. Thanks, Adam. Hello, Chris. Hey, what's up, dude? How are you? I think when we look back at the Super Bowl in recent years and who we most associate the Super Bowl with, I think there's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and Chris Long. <laughs> there aren't yeah. too many people my, here, Chris. In my, in my household. <laughs> well, well, no, I think in most households. Look, yeah. you won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. You won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. There's only one guy that's won the Super Bowl Just the Le-Garrett, last... LeGarrette. LeGarrette. Oh, LeGarrette. Okay, you and LeGarrette. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. then I should really... we. we the people we think of most of the Super Bowl would be Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Chris Long, and LeGarrette Blunt. <laughs> sure, sure. Right? And then yeah. this year, your former team, the Patriots, goes up against your other previous former team, the Rams. It's a strange confluence of factors for you. What is your perspective on a matchup like this, having won the Super Bowl in each of the last two years? You know, it's wild. I mean, it's uh, everybody's going to be riding that um, McVeigh Belichick age difference, uh, golf Brady age difference narrative. But I, I'll be watching very closely what happens up front. I think uh, I think the game's going to be won and lost there. I think uh, New England kind of the way they always do, um, adapting to whatever the situation calls for, kind of changing into a different team in the playoffs, uh, running the ball with power off tackle, and uh, obviously they have two massive tackles and. Cannon and uh, Brown, and so uh, I'll be watching those guys. I'll be seeing what they do against Aaron. I mean, they did a nice job against Aaron in 16 last time uh, the Patriots played him. I was actually there and uh, jumped out to a lead, uh, kind of kept him under control, quick game, frustrated him. Um, so other guys are going to have to step up up front, like uh, Sue and, and Fowler, who, uh, you know, Fowler's their best edge rusher, but they're going to chip out a lot of the time and seven-man protect, and they're going to try to frustrate that front. We'll see. You, know, you sound like you have future career as an analyst breaking this down. Any desire to no, follow well, in your father's footsteps? I want to have a podcast like you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have it. In fact, you have an open invitation to be my partner on my podcast any time of the week. And and I think if you I and I came out, we could supplant, uh, pardon my take, we could knock those guys <laughs> off their perch. <laughs> yeah, well, they are they are on their high horse right now. I just visited with those guys a couple days ago. They're uh, Yeah, they, they're feeling themselves. Long and Schefter could take down Big Cat and PFT commentator. I'm just telling you right now. That's bulletin board material. They got it on their little chalkboard in the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You played eight seasons with the Rams until 2015. You played with the Patriots and won a Super Bowl there. Who do you root for in a game like this? It's really hard for me. I mean, you, you as a football fan and for the first eight years of my career, when it turned January, I was always a football fan, not a football player. Uh, in St. Louis, we never made the postseason, so I'm used to watching the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I always want to have a rooting interest because it's more fun that way. Mm-hmm. I can't pick one this year. I mean, I really can't. I got some good friends on both teams, and uh, more than anything, I mean, I don't know who to pick to win. I don't know who to pick to pull for. So it's going to be a weird week that way for me. Obviously, having played on both teams. Uh, I'm happy for all my buddies. I, you know, that, they weren't situations that I left in, with any ill will. It's strange to see the Rams thriving like this because when you played there, the team was never very good. 
Yeah, no, we struggled. Uh, we struggled a lot, and at the tail end, we were in the midst of that move. Uh, and I never made the move. I was released right before. But, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've done a good job. I mean, that roster that Jeff um, and Les did a good job of laying down the foundation talent and personnel-wise, uh, and McVay added to it and then just picked up and, and uh, just totally transformed that offense. It's uh, It's been interesting to watch, and uh, it's been interesting to see how they've thrived in that market as well. So, um, you know, L.A. and Boston, the league's got to be pretty happy with that. Yeah. Now, you had one of the great gestures that I've ever seen in football, and I sincerely mean that donating your game checks in the 2017 season uh, to fund two seven-year scholarships in your hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, and later that year you announced you donate the remainder of your game checks to organizations supporting educational equity and opportunity in St. Louis, Boston, and Philadelphia. This year you're up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year. What would it mean to you to win that award this week, which would mark your third consecutive Super Bowl year of winning something of significance? <laughs> you got to win something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, there, there's a, a, a whole bunch of great uh, dudes who are nominated for that award. And um, like any individual award, it's not really an individual award. If you were to win it, it's a team award. I mean, uh, the reason that we've been so successful with my foundation, obviously not including – um, the great people that work in my foundation, but the fans are the lifeblood. Um, you know, there's no way we'd be able to run such successful programs the past two years, like Pledge 10 or First Quarter for Literacy, uh, without the help of fans around the league. I mean, the whole reason we publicize that, that, you know, that free salary thing, uh, like, listen, I'm not the first guy to donate a million dollars to a cause, but, um, the fans were able to double my investment in educational equity in the cities that I played in Boston and Philly and St. Louis and obviously in my hometown as well as you touched on. So the fans, you know, would share a big part of it in all the cities I've played. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, somebody said, Hey, all your, your hard work's, uh, paying off off the field. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's already paid off. This stuff is icing on the cake. No matter what happens, you know, the payoff is people, um, you know, gaining access to better education or clean water with our water boards initiative and a whole host of other things. How's that coming? The, the, the water initiative. Uh, it's been great. I mean, we've really, we've shattered a lot of our goals. We started off with a goal of 32 large solar powered wells, uh, representing 32 teams with the help of a lot of my peers around the league. Uh, and we, we've surpassed that easily. Uh, we, we actually broke that, that goal, uh, Super Bowl weekend last year which was really special and uh so now we're at 52 large solar powered wells and we've got a couple hundred thousand people drinking from our uh, our wells in east africa and we will be um you know branching out geographically as well what does somebody like chris long want to do post football being that you've already done so much good uh well i'm, I'm i plan on having a podcast so you know that should be fun I'll, I'll be i'll be picking your brain to see you know what the uh what the hardest parts are, but so you uh, are going to have yeah. your own podcast. You're not joking about that. Yeah, I will have a podcast. Wow. I, I definitely will. I got you know, like Twitter. Twitter limits you, so uh, to have your own kind of platform would be cool. And um, you know, we'll see a whole bunch of other stuff. I want to continue to uh, work hard at at growing the foundation and making a difference that way. And being a dad, I'm you know, I got two two sons now, so that changes your perspective on football and life. So. Dad, podcast, philanthropic gestures right there. That's enough. So there's not even time for you to do studio work, which you would be great at. I could tell right away. <laughs> well, 
I leave, I leave that to people with a, a face for TV like my pops. So. <laughs> but you, would you ever want to do that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I would be more interested in something that, that, that's more, um, work intensive and busy work intensive all week, uh, where I have to do something a couple times a week. I enjoy the grind. Uh, that's the, the number one thing I'll miss from football is, um, having to wake up and, and answer to something every day. So, uh, just, just building something out that I can take pride in and, and, and work hard at all week. We brought up Philadelphia. We brought up some of the questions. And if you had your own podcast today, what would you say about the article that came out about Carson Wentz in Philadelphia last week? Well, only because it came out like eight days ago, I probably wouldn't say anything. But uh, now you know, that you're asked about it. <laughs> I, I would say anyone can Google my comments from last week. Because uh, at this point, I hate giving it any any more attention than it deserves. You know, I've said it, you know, Carson is a consummate great teammate. And I'm not a big fan of anonymous sources. And I expounded on that a lot last yeah. week. But... You know, it's just one of those things. I don't, I don't like to give it any more steam. Your other quarterback, Nick Foles, you got a prediction for me, Chris, about where he might wind up in 2019 if you had to pick a team right now? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know his contract situation, but, um, you know, if I'm him, I'd probably want to be the guy somewhere because, you know, he's earned that opportunity. Obviously, we have a unique situation where we have two guys that could be franchise quarterbacks different places, and we have our franchise quarterback already. So, you know, Nick, um, is going to make some team very lucky as a leader and as a football player. And I think there's a couple places that I would think without disrespecting guys that are already there, um, you know, that he would make those places better. And, Chris, before I let you go, why don't you tell me about Freebird, the cashback rewards mobile app for Uber and Lyft rides? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of those partnerships I'm actually very excited about. Um, because it aligns with some of the things I really believe in. It's a cashback rewards mobile app for Uber and Lyft. You can use it in conjunction with those services. And I'll use it this weekend uh, to get where I'm going. I'm going to download the app this week, um, and I will be going to a lot of parties. You know, last two years I was playing. This year I'll be having a few. There's only <laughs> one safe way to get there and, and back, and that's by Uber or Lyft or using this Freebird app. You can download the app. The promo code is Go Long. That's the one you want to use because yep. that's going to help me out. Uh, and you know, you get ten dollars towards your first ride. Um, and on Super Bowl Sunday, they got a special running where um, you know, if you go to a Super Bowl party and use the app, you get ten dollars towards your ride there and back. So that's twenty dollars. Uh, really, in 2019, there's no excuse to be getting behind the wheel, hammered, or having a few drinks. Everybody's going to have fun on Sunday. It's a great day, uh, but be safe. So you're going to parties this year, huh? Yeah, I'll hit some parties. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a liver. I'm doing a liver cleanse right now. That's good for good for you. Your, your liver will be ready to go when you get to Atlanta this week. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. I mean, I, listen, if I can't play football, I got to do something that week. So I got to tell you something. I don't remember the last time I've been going to the Super Bowl for 25, 30 years. I don't remember the last time I went to a Super Bowl party. I don't mean to be a party pooper or anything like that. But no, but true. you know what? You, you're probably nice and well rested for the game. But I'll, I'll hit a couple. You know. We're down there for the man of the year stuff, and that's going to be exciting. Yeah. But it's always cool because you catch up with some of your buddies from around the league. So that's fun as well. I'm well-rested, and my liver feels very good, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Hey, thanks for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on all your great work, and good luck with the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award later this week. Thanks a lot, man. Good talking to you. Thank you, Chris. And so there is Eagles defensive end Chris Long. A special thanks to him as well as to ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan. And 
Special thanks to Falcons General Manager Thomas Dimitrov, who provided tips about the Atlanta scene and the mindset into what makes the New England Patriots the great organization that they are. And a special thanks to my friend, Chris Berman, for sharing some of his time as we all get ready for Super Bowl 53. Thank you to the listener for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. We'll be back in this spot to review Super Bowl 53 next week. Enjoy the big game, everybody.